Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 19, 28 through 40. As Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully, with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Laura. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I am Amy Wilson Feltz. I am the pastor here at Morningstar, in case you haven't had a chance to meet me just yet. Welcome to worship on this beautiful Palm Sunday. I invite you all to take a deep breath with me. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, my husband Jason was invited to participate in a series of interviews at a college that was out of state. It was a teaching position. Jason had finished his doctorate, defended his dissertation sometime before, and he had done a really great job of putting together some meaningful part-time opportunities, but this was really the first promising full-time position, and we were excited. The position would require a move across the country for us, but we were open to going wherever we were sent, We were really thrilled to learn that Jason had made it to the final round of interviews to the point that he and I were invited to visit the campus. So he spent the day on campus interviewing, meeting other employees, meeting the students. I spent the day touring the campus and meeting with the district superintendent to see if there were opportunities for me to serve a church in the area. It was a perfect day. It was a beautiful spring day. The campus was gorgeous. This was a faith-based school, and the theology and the worldview fit us very well. And toward the end of the day, we were feeling like, okay, maybe this is the place for us to serve next. Jason was even told by the head of the search committee that he was a front runner for the job. So it felt a, a little strange to feel this way, but we began to expect 
that he would be offered the job. So you and I, those of you who have been at Morningstar since I have been here, we've talked about this kind of thing before. We all have expectations in pretty much every area of life. And just to be clear, an expectation is a strong belief that something is going to happen. This is different from hope. Hope is a desire that something will happen, but expectation takes it one step further to this idea that we really begin to think that something is going to happen, almost as if it is as good as done. Expectations are the beliefs that something is going to happen, whether we hope for it or not, honestly. But of course, our expectations are the strongest in that place when they are combined with hope. When what we think is going to happen is also something that we desperately want to happen, sometimes at any cost. So that place where hope and expectation meet, that's where we find the people of God in this story from the Gospel of Luke that Laura just read for us. They had gathered along the path that ran from the Mount of Olives through the city of Jerusalem as Jesus rode by on a young donkey. As he did so, the people shouted their expectations. And not only their own expectations, but the expectations of generations of their people as they proclaimed, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. These words had been sung by the people of Israel for centuries as part of an ancient hymn that we know as Psalm 118. Even the word king is filled to the brim with expectation. This wasn't just any king. The people of God were living in an occupied state. Rome was the ruling power, and the oppression that resulted for the Israelites was presented as a sort of false peace, to the point that any rebellion was squelched immediately. The people longed not merely for a king, but for a liberator, someone to free them from the tyranny of Rome. They were looking for a Messiah, someone anointed by God, a savior, A growing number of them had set their sights on Jesus of Nazareth, who had spent the last three years making a name for himself as a great teacher and preacher. But not only that, someone who was filled with compassion, someone who would move toward people as they were suffering, someone who would heal people in the most difficult of situations. For many, Jesus seemed to be the perfect candidate for the job because what they needed was healing. For their entire people. And so they shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Other versions of this story include the word Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna means save us. It's a cry of hope, a cry of expectation, especially when paired with the leaves of these palm branches. Our passage from Luke doesn't actually mention these leaves, but other gospel tellings do, and the detail is not insignificant because palm leaves were a sign of peace in that culture, but they were also a sign of triumph, a sign of victory. In other words, the cries of the people for salvation, 
their shouts for a king of their own, their waving of these signs of triumph could very well be interpreted as the beginnings of a political coup. At the very least, the people's expectations of Jesus were beginning to be revealed. They hoped, even expected, that Jesus would be the one to do something, to do something dramatic, to do something revolutionary, to end their collective suffering. Well, if we have learned anything from our holy text, it's that the people are not the only ones with expectations. God has expectations as well. We see that in the Old Testament with the giving of the law. We also see it in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus as he takes that law and he makes it more personal, more practical. He had just done that very thing in a recent message that was offered in the most previous passage in Luke. It's known as the parable of the ten pounds, and it tells about the dangers of the misuse of money and power. After planting some seeds about what true power looks like, Jesus then tells two of his followers to bring him a colt, a male donkey no older than four years. This is a really strange scene. It reads sort of like a bizarre spy mission. Jesus says, go ahead into the village, and when you get there, you will find a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it. Bring it to me. Now, I don't know if Jesus scoped out the colt ahead of time or if he just knew what to expect, but he prepares his friends to be questioned. He tells them what to say. And it all plays out just as he describes. And they settle the matter with the owners with a simple explanation. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And we know the rest of the story because Laura just read it for us. Jesus rides on that colt into the pomp and circumstance that awaits him in Jerusalem, the holy city. And in doing so, Jesus makes a counterpoint to the expectations of the people. The king of the brand for which they were hoping could be expected to ride into the city on a grand horse, a sign of war and power. This king, by contrast, this Jesus, rode in on the youngest, greenest donkey that he could find. Not a symbol of war, but a symbol of peace. True peace. Jesus is making his own reference to the Hebrew Bible here, pointing to the words of the prophet Zechariah, who spoke of a humble king, one who would ride in on a donkey. Of course, Jesus wasn't shirking any responsibility here. He's not even denying the triumph of which that same prophet spoke. He's simply adjusting the expectations as to just what kind of victory this will be. He is saying with his actions, I will be your king. I am your king. I'm just not the kind of king that you hope for or expect. I'm the king that you need. I'm the king you need. And so Jesus chooses to go ahead. He goes ahead into Jerusalem. He goes ahead into the understandable, albeit misguided, expectations of the people. He goes ahead into what he must know is going to be a controversial and dangerous situation. 
And then Jesus is met not only with cries for salvation and the hopes of victory, but with the fear and the anxiety of the religious rulers. They had some expectations of their own. It had come to be a benefit for these leaders to preserve the false peace of the Roman Empire, the potential uprising that they were witnessing in that very moment before their eyes in Jerusalem posed a problem. So they tell Jesus to instruct the people to be quiet, go home. In reply, Jesus points to the movement not just of the people, but of all of creation toward the liberating work of God in their midst. Even the stones would cry out, he says, if these people were silent. In other words, there is no stopping what has been set into motion by the source of all life. It's time to go ahead. And so it is. So it is, beloved, for us too. In this community of faith, we've spent the season of Lent, the better part of 40 days leading up to Easter, in a practice of mindfulness, pondering a series of questions about the ways that we could release ourselves from unnecessary burdens that we are carrying in this life. So now the question naturally becomes, what's next? What's next? That's the question that Jason and I found ourselves asking each other when that perfect job offer that we expected did not come in after all. We had some new decisions to make at that point. Thanks be to God, new opportunities arose for us. And this is the path that brought me to all of you quite unexpectedly. And for that, I am very grateful. But today, as the shouts of Hosanna begin to fade, I ask you, what's next? In what areas of life are we being called to go ahead, to go ahead with Jesus to the next step of dying to ourselves? Because the truth is, New expectations cannot come to life without the death of the old ones. New expectations cannot come to life without the death of the old ones. This is the truth that we take with us into Holy Week, and certainly the events of Good Friday. So if you are thinking of skipping Good Friday this year, as your pastor, I would invite you to reconsider. If we move from Hosanna to Alleluia, without stopping to reflect upon the echoes of the cries of crucify him, we are in danger of missing the point. We are in danger of missing the point of Easter. As you will hear later today, Morningstar offers several opportunities to observe Good Friday right here in the sanctuary, in person, online, outside on the storybook trail. We'll hear those details soon. I invite you to participate, to really reflect upon the events of that day. This is our invitation. Go ahead, beloved, daring to stare death in the face, trusting, trusting that the triumph and the victory already has been won. Amen? Amen.